Welcome one and all. We're back at it again. It's uh, NFL Draft Bible. I'm your host, Joe Everett, Director of College Scouting for NFL Draft Bible. Uh, with you today, uh, shortly joined by Rick Saratella and Justin Gamble. A little different show. We're going to be bringing a 2019 class, a little preview of next year, because you can't truly scout this current class without having an idea, a little picture, the big picture of next year. We're going to be talking about the latest draft buzz and then also getting to a little spring game action out there. I know you guys are checking out the spring game. Of course, we are here too at NFL Draft Bible and uh, it was about that time to get going. Uh, I think I got the RIC on. What up? Hey, RIC in the place to be here. Uh, counting you down, man. A week, unbelievable. It's a can't stop, won't stop situation, Joe. And yeah, it's like you know we're counting down to Christmas. We're already looking ahead to next year. And uh, oh, what a wonderful time of the year, baby. Oh yeah, a week away. It doesn't get any better. We got the top 500. Uh, I would say I can't believe it's already here, but I'm glad it is. This is the festivities, the holidays. Better than Christmas, man. Oh, no doubt about it. And, you know, talking draft with you guys is is the best way to do it. Do we have Justin on the line as well? Yep. I'm here, ready to go. Alrighty then. So we got, listen, we got Joe, Justin, and Rick here, and we're going to get this party started right. Again, if you've been tuned in, listening over the years, you already know how we get down. We go in, 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 in depth, baby. So listen, spread the word, share it, like it. We're uh, on iTunes. Hit us up with the review over there. We appreciate it. Of course, if you're listening on Blog Talk Radio Live, the archive, the the website, NFLDraftBible.com, we're on fire over there. The good people at Pressure Sports, uh, you might not be able to see it through the airwaves, but I am rocking out the latest Pressure Sports clothing line. They have an NFL Draft Bible line. Uh, if you're interested in getting a hold of some of that gear, Check them out, PressureSports.com. So, with that being said, Joe said it, said it beautifully. We're going to take a look at uh, some of next year's draft class, talk about who some of the top prospects are, and then some of the spring ball action, man. I got I got, got some people to put on blast, but first we're going to keep it locked on the 2018. And uh, listen, you know, TMZ, if you're listening to our show, I don't want any lawsuits now. I know you guys do a similar thing, Who'd You Rather?, but we're going to apply it to the NFL draft in terms of who'd you rather, and we're going to get inside the minds, inside the heads of uh, Joe Everett and Justin Gamble, our directors of college football scouting, and see where their frame of thinking is when it comes to next week's draft down in Dallas, destination Dallas. Uh, boy, they're 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 promising 270,000 people at this draft, and what a spectacle it's going to be down there in Big D. But let's do it like this, guys. We got a couple players on offense, a couple players on defense. Like Joe said, we're going to be unveiling the top 500. Looks like it might be the top 600. Who knows when it's all said and done. But, um, you know, let's go inside the war room. It's a, uh, it's a NFL team that, you know, has a established quarterback but is looking ahead to groom the next quarterback of the future. And you think of teams like the Pittsburgh Steelers, the New Orleans Saints, San Diego Chargers, New York Giants even, New England Patriots, a lot of talk with the quarterback. Let's say we're on day two. We missed the run of the mill on the top-tier quarterbacks, quote-unquote. And, you know, you're hearing anywhere 
from four to five quarterbacks in the first round. Now we're on day two. We missed the top five, six guys. Even Mason Rudolph and Lamar Jackson are off the board at this point. We're looking for a developmental quarterback to groom to be the successor. Joe, I'm going to start with you. Mike White from Western Kentucky or Luke Falk from Washington State? Which quarterback would you rather groom as your potential eventual replacement? I'm going Mike White. Um, but I think this is perfect because both these guys, uh, I, I think, cut from a similar cloth, kind of heavy-footed, not really escapable in the pocket, but within the pocket, in structure, they, they can throw dimes. Um, I trust Mike White uh, a little bit more. I like his accuracy better. Uh, I think he finds tighter windows. And honest to goodness, I'm just going with a coach and staff I like better, too, like, Give me a Jeff Brown product of, uh, ahead of a Mike Leach kid. I mean, some sometimes I don't, I don't know about this Mike Leach whole system. I uh, I, I don't know. But of course, it is a credit to Luke Falk for just surviving uh, at Washington State. I give him that. But I I, th- I think I'd go White here, and it it is close. But I like his accuracy better, and I think he's a little bit more escapable than Falk, but not that much. I mean, both these guys are pretty much statues. Yeah, they both uh, rocked the Drew Bledsoe dancing shoes there inside the pocket, but that's okay <laughs> because you know a lot of you know there's a lot of successful pocket passing quarterbacks, Justin, and we've talked about you know in the, on past shows the zany antics of Mike Leach benching Luke Falk several times, but uh, you know as Joe just mentioned. He's going to have to be fighting that label system quarterback. So, you know, we heard Joe go with Mike White. I'm going to turn it over to you now, Justin. Mike White or Luke Falk, which quarterback are you going to roll the dice on? And this ain't close, man. It's it's Mike White, and I take Mike White over Mason Rudolph to go on record. I mean, Luke Falk is that guy that – Yeah, I'm just saying. Luke Falk is that guy that it's like he's (laughs) – it's rare for a college quarterback to be such a good anticipation thrower, but Luke Falk is just that. But it's because he doesn't have a choice. His arm is so weak, and it's it's like he rarely is even able to drive the football that he ends up, you know, finding those windows. It's like he's always having to throw multiple windows ahead of his guy just because he's kind of a slow processor, and it feels like he sees the field in slow motion, but it, he's also in slow motion. And – I think Mike White, that former pitcher, comes out in him. And, I mean, Joe said it. The dude can attack some tight windows. Um, he reads the intermediates well, and he hits those windows, man. It's like, like I said, it's fun watching pitchers play football when they actually do it well. And Mike White's that guy that I think might outplay one of the top, you know, five quarterbacks in this class. I'm, I'm not sure which one, but uh, I think he, you know, he's got a future ahead of him. At very least, he's a good backup. Um, and I think he might have some starter traits because that arm strength and the ability to hit the intermediate, you know, routes with good touch and good timing, um, it also velocity. It's nice. So, you know, he's got the height, he's got the he's got the arm, he's got everything you're looking for. He's got everything that Mason Rudolph has. Uh, maybe not the mobility, but I don't think that matters because I think he's such a better passer. I think Mike White's that guy that, if, you know, late day two rolls around and you're thinking we need someone to compete in camp and maybe even earn a starter job down the road, Mike, what you got? Yeah. You know, and a lot of people that we uh, do respect are saying similar things about Mike white, the Western Kentucky quarterback. So there you have it. Who'd you rather 
uh, unanimous decision here. Mike White over Luke Falk, who, you know, at one point a year, two years ago, people were talking about Luke Falk in the first round. Now, uh, a lot of the guys we're going to talk about are more in the middle of the rounds, but there, there are uh, some players here that, you know, even in the first round are a little bit up for debate. And I wanted to bring this one to your guys' attention because um, – from what I saw, you know, I love Will Hernandez from uh, University of uh, Texas El Paso, right, uh, Utah. So, love what he brings to the table. But I thought, you know, watching Isaiah win throughout the draft process, to me, I just thought he was a better player. But now I'm hearing, and again, it is smokescreen season, I'm hearing Will Hernandez as one of these guys that is going to get drafted much higher than people are anticipating. So I'm curious to know you're an NFL team picking in the back half of the first round. You miss out obviously on Quentin Nelson. You need some help on the interior of the offensive line. Justin, I'm going to start it off with you first. Who'd you rather Will Hernandez or Isaiah Wynn? Well, I think this is the, you know, which scheme are you running type thing. Um, cause you know, they're different guys. Will Hernandez is that six, two, what is he like three forty five or something? Um, just pure power dude who, you know, he plays in a phone booth and rocks dudes, punches him in the chin and, you know, rolls his feet. And Isaiah Wynn played left tackle at six, two. And the guy just doesn't make mistakes. He's almost perfect in every aspect of the football game, but, you know, I don't think you can go wrong here, but if I'm choosing one, I think it's Isaiah Wynn because we've seen the things he can do out on the edge, and we've seen, you know, like he's got the absolute core strength, um, you know, body to play the interior as well. He's six two, so, you know, I think he projects obviously inside better, but the way that he understands leverage and hand placement and, you know, can drop those hips and drop his butt, it's beautiful to watch. I mean, the guy just plays the – the football game wonderfully and it's rare to study an offensive lineman and actually get excited and stay awake for a long period of time but watching Isaiah win that was possible I think he's such a good football player um and I think you know first round is not out of the question with him I think he can play what maybe all five positions on the offensive line maybe he's not gonna thrive you know at tackle in the NFL but he's definitely that swing guy and, uh, you know, yeah, inside, I just I don't know what he can't do inside. I think he's probably not the best pure power guy, but, man, I, I don't know. I think just the versatility he brings and the overall kind of just savvy and fundamentally sound way he plays the game is, all, is just too good to pass up. Yeah, I kind of tend to agree with you, Justin. Uh, Joe, you just heard Justin state his case for Isaiah Wynn, but – Will Hernandez, I mean, this guy sounds like he's rapidly moving up draft boards, and uh, this is a guy we should not be surprised if you hear him go inside the top 20 from what I'm hearing, but let's hear it from Joe Everett and his take. Will Hernandez or Isaiah Wynn, who'd you rather? Oh, let's make it a three for uh, I love Wynn. Not only the versatility that Justin brought up, played some tackle, played guard, I think he could probably handle with a pivot if he needed to. The SEC opponents he's gone up against, and just watch him in those last two games in the playoffs. I mean, he was dominant at tackle. Um, and the last one that just really – and hey, both these guys, we're talking about two guys with very high floors. 
I mean, even if they don't pan out like we envision, they're probably still both going to start 10-plus years. But I, I think Wynn is a – he's just one of those no-doubts. And what he did at the Senior Bowl, playing hurt, I mean, as soon as that week was over, he's on a on a plane to a hospital to get some surgery. So uh, I really think that is a testament to what kind of a threshold of pain he has. And, and yeah, I'd, I'd go win there as well. But nothing against Hernandez. I mean, so technically sound, a great kid. And, well, you want to talk about some intangibles. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Will Hernandez has got it in spades and that aspect of it. And then I, I agree with Justin, too. It's like both these guys, you could watch the highlight reel and get excited. I mean, there's some stuff that Hernandez does. I just jump out of my chair like, yep, that just happened. So uh, I think no matter which choice you make here, you're getting a heck of a player. All right. So there you have it. Unanimous once again. Maybe I didn't make these hard enough for our draft war room GMs here, but, you know, we're going to move on to the next one and see, you know, what you guys think of this one. And it's a small school stud versus a big school pedigree. And, you know, Puna Ford now coming out of Texas, even though he has the big school pedigree, did not receive an invitation to the NFL scouting combine, as we've discussed on previous shows, but did have an outstanding week of work at the Senior Bowl. Now, Nathan Shepard, not too shabby himself. I'm wondering, Joe, if you're a team in the mid-rounds looking for that defensive line help, uh, both of these guys bring some different levels of explosiveness, but who would you rather, Nathan Shepard or Puna Ford? I got Nathan Shepard as uh, I'm trying to think my grade. I think I've, I've got him as a second rounder. So, yeah, I don't, I don't have this close. I got Nathan Shepard all day. Uh, he's just so powerful, and this is a, yet another one. I mean, the senior bowl practices say it. Both these guys are down in Mobile, and no one could touch Nathan Shepard, save Isaiah Wynn, who we just talked about. Uh, the guy was just a man-child, and that's, I mean, flat out. Uh, if I'm picking someone from the senior bowl to walk with me through a dark alley, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm picking my man Nate Shepard. That guy was just a manimal down there. Uh, the only thing that stopped him was that broken hand. So I, I think that's a guy, once he gets off the board, there's going to be some GMs and coaches in war rooms like slamming tables and really irate because they thought they had a chance at him. Uh, I think he's a top 100 player for sure. And, yeah, uh, Fort A State, don't let the name fool you. I think he also spent a year maybe at Simon Frazier. He's going to be an older rookie at 26, but that's a man. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Nate Shepard. And, yeah, I think, I think Puna Ford would be lucky he gets drafted. Wow. Okay. So, uh, there's a hot take. Um, Justin, you just heard it from Joe. Uh, He's got a second-round grade on Nathan Shepard. Obviously, he's been uh, showing that he can be dominant at times, but also playing against guys that are five years younger than him. He believes Puna Ford will be lucky to even get drafted. Your take. Look, bro, you raised us right, Rick, okay? Because me and Joe are on the same page once again, man. <laughs> I think I think he's got a point, dude. Uh, Puna Ford, I don't know if he has an NFL future. Um, you know, just because what scheme does he really fit in? He's, I mean, he, there's no way a 30, a, you know, a 30 front is going to take him. Um, there's no way he fits in the 30 front. And then, if I, you know, if I think about what he could do in a four-man front, He's not a starter at three technique. You know, he's not a nose tackle, but he's not a starter at three. 
and even in sub packages, is he really your best choice as a pass rusher to get after the quarterback at the three technique or, you know, in any type of rotation, I'm not really sure where Nathan Shepard not only gives you the size and the starter trace, but I mean, he could play, you know, five technique. He could be a defensive end in the three man front. He could probably play three technique in a four man front. I think you can kind of switch him around everywhere and get, you know, good things out of him. He's absolutely a starter. Um, so, I'm with Joe. I think, yeah, he's like 41 years old, so maybe he's not a second-round pick just because you're only getting maybe a five-, six-year career out of him. But the guy's a starter no matter what. Where from the forward, you're throwing him in a rotation, and you're wondering when you're actually, you know, he's that guy that's like he, he's sitting on the bench, and he's staring at the coach the whole game, and it's like that thing in Friday Night Lights when Booby gets hurt, and he's staring at the coach, like, put me in, and your coach is like, I don't really think I can, bro. It's that thing. It's like I don't know when I could put him in the game where I'm like he's my best choice. I'm. I don't think he gets drafted, and I don't think he ends up, you know, sticking around too long in the NFL just because that size is hard to ignore, man. In a in a grown man league with big grown men, when does where does Puna Ford fit? And I don't think he does. Okay, very interesting. We're doing a case of who'd you rather, and uh, we're gonna keep it moving now to the defensive side of the ball where. You know, you talk about you don't know where he fits, Justin. Well, how about this guy, Marquise Haynes? Uh, you know, this guy has a tremendous amount of production. Uh, I think his career numbers in terms of uh, tackles for loss and sacks is like 47 tackles for loss, 32 sacks there at Ole Miss. But people concerned about his height, where he fits at the next level. And then you got a guy like Josh Sweat from Florida State who came in as a very high recruit, showed flashes of his potential, never really put it together, but there are a lot of people who do believe this young man can be a better pro player than he was a collegiate. Justin, I'll stick with you. Who'd you rather, Josh Sweat from Florida State or Marquise Haynes from Ole Miss? Man, I got to go again my better judgment here i'm just gonna stick with what i would do and it it feels weird I, I do think josh sweat has a better nfl career than a pro career or than a than he was as a college player i think they kind of hid his traits a little bit but i also feel like when i watched him on tape and when i did watch him get to pin his ears back and you know rush from the outside it just wasn't what i expect from a guy who put up the numbers that he did at the combine where marquise haynes is he's a little older as well i think I actually don't remember how old he is, but I know he's going to be like a 23-year-old rookie as well. I'm, I, someone correct me on that if I'm wrong. But uh, 6'3", 225, I think he's just so versatile. Uh, we've seen him cover. We've seen him play in space, and he kind of moves like a safety or like a will linebacker sometimes. And then you watch him come off the edge, and his first step is lightning. And we saw him flatten Cam Robinson in 2016, I think, against you know against Bama. And – he can bend like no one's business. I mean, I know he's small and he should be able to do that, but I think in a versatile defense, you know, a 3-4 versatile defense that plays a lot of multiple looks and, you know, lets him do a lot of things where he can drop in coverage, be a robber, or be a be kind of a spy, be the green dog, you know, do it, so many different things. Um, I just don't think I could pass on Marquis Haynes. I love his athleticism. I love the way he plays the game. He plays a lot bigger than 6'3", 225. And 
you know, I'm not exactly sure what his starter role is, but I don't think I could pass on the traits and just the ability to be so multiple with him as far as bringing him off the edge, then covering running backs, you know, then being that spy for some of the more athletic quarterbacks. I, I, yeah, man, he's tough for me because I usually like the guys with set roles that I know exactly what I'm thinking. But Marquise Haynes has been a player that I've loved for like three years now, and I just I can't say no to him. And definitely, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he definitely has the resume, the production to back it up. And, uh, you know, Josh Sweat, Joe, as we've talked about, just never really fulfilled the hype, never lived up to it. But, you know, how do you see this breakdown? Uh, your take, are these are these guys more than just situational players at the next level? Do they have a defined role? And who would you rather? I think at this point, the Haynes looks like the guy that best case he's situational. Uh, I don't know that he's a three downer. Uh, maybe it's stand up pass rush outside linebacker, but I mean, even then, uh, is he going to play on those rundowns or like obvious short yardage? I, I have my doubts, and I'd, I'd go sweat just for the upside, uh, the di- the roll of the dice. Unfortunately, I believe it'll cost more. That's the the bonus with Haynes, I still don't I, – no one's respecting him. I, he'll come in the third round, maybe even in the fourth, just because, you know, you'll get a discount on that guy. So that's a bonus there, but I, I'd go with the uh, – I'd swing for the fences. I think Sweat could develop into that every down guy. Um, there's still some uh, production that he got at Florida State. I, I still don't think – well, like you guys mentioned, I, they did not get the best out of him there, and there, there's no doubt he's going to be a better pro. Uh, But, yeah, I'd swing for the fences here. I mean, double-digit tackles for loss last two seasons, and this is a guy I think memory serves uh, rehab from a a pretty significant knee injury out of high school. So Mm -hmm. getting back to where he is, that's something to be said for him. I'd I'd probably roll the dice. I think he's going – he's still like a top 100 pick. You're going to have to spend on him, but at least it won't be the first-rounder that it could have been had all things gone well for him uh, in college. Yeah, all about the upside, and uh, so we have our first disagreement there with uh, who'd you rather, and Joe going for the fences with Josh Sweat, Justin going with Marquise Haynes. I'd say, you know, this is really a tough situation for me. Um, I love the upside of Sweat as well and might give him the slight edge, but as Joe mentioned, you might get a better value out of Haynes. Regardless, I think both of these guys can make some kind of impact at the next level, whether it's a situational pass rusher or, you know, a guy in coverage. But, um, man, it, it's so tough. Uh, I guess I would risk going with Sweat despite, you know, Haynes being a more productive player. I think once you get to next level, that size, that speed, that athleticism, you want uh, to coach a guy like that up and try to maximize his potential. So, uh, last one here before we switch gears and give you a little taste of 2019. Woo! Uh, Micah Kaiser <laughs> from Virginia and Josie Jewell from Iowa, guys. Two prospects who aren't going to wow you, you know, with their measurables. Not going to jump off the page, but uh, just pure football players, in my opinion. And, you know, again, probably day two, maybe even early day three, but middle of the round, you need an inside backer. You're looking for a guy to plug in. Uh, maybe, you know, there's a couple teams out there, uh, like, uh, the 49ers where, uh, you know, Ruben Foster probably be suspended or maybe not even on the team, but getting into those middle rounds, we'll start it off 
with you this time, Joe, Mika Kaiser, Josie Jewell. Who'd you rather? Yeah, this is the closest one for me. Uh, I like both these players, and both neither of these guys can run. Uh, Kaiser, I expected a better time out of him, but I give him the edge out of Virginia. Uh, He's just been an institution for the Cavaliers. Both of them are extremely smart, uh, well-studied player. I think Kaiser's carrying a 4.0 GPA. I mean, this uh, you're getting a heck of a player, and I think you hit the nail on the head as far as projection. These guys are day three, but early day three, kind of priority day three. Like, we need a, a backer that isn't going to be a slouch in coverage but can also lay the wood. And, yeah, I'd side with Kaiser, but, boy, is it close. I've got these guys at inside linebackers uh, – five and six right now so uh they're very comparable and once again i hate to break the record but you know you're not getting a bad player either way i mean josie jewel is a form tackler he lines guys up and cuts them at two and uh, i just think i'd I'd probably prefer kaiser and yeah to send out a apology letter to the jewel family afterwards (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely some fundamentally sound players uh you know, almost like coaches on the field, Justin. Uh, who'd you rather? We're going to have to have two disagreements in a row, man, because i got to side with Jewel on this one. I think he's got potential starter traits. I don't think he'll ever be a high-level guy. But I think he could actually be a high-volume tackler in the NFL, just like he was in college. Um, he, you know, he stacked – he looks good coming from that Iowa program. He looks like your typical Iowa guy who knows how to stack and shed. Um, he kind of just – he does a lot of things that I see translating well. Um, he's not the best athlete, and I think, you know, he's going to be limited. He might just be a two-down guy in the NFL, but he can still do what he did in college. Where Micah Kaiser, I mean, I saw him miss a ton of tackles in college, and I think he would struggle to get tackles in the NFL. I don't know what – where I would put him because he, you know, he's not the guy who can take on blocks. He's getting, you know, completely swallowed up and run over. Where and he doesn't have the range either. I mean, I, I can't put him at weak side because I know he's not going to chase down anything. I can't put him at, you know, in the thirty-four scheme because he can't take on blocks to save his life. Uh, I just don't know where he succeeds or where he wins in the NFL. Um, he's not good in coverage by any means. I think he's tight-hipped. He's just kind of a straight-ahead you know, B-gap to B-gap type guys. So I, I wonder where he succeeds in the NFL. I wonder where, you know, where he even finds his role, where Jewel, I think, has a little more versatility, a little more things that translate. I think I got a side of Jewel on this one. Yeah, I think it is a very close, you know, great in these two prospects. I mean, if you pulled 32 GMs, you might get a 16 split down the middle. But I actually – by a smidge, I, I tend to agree with uh, Justin here. I, I like Josie Jewell in terms of the potential of him being a starter at the next level, and I think he's a guy that could be a guy that, that starts his rookie season, uh, or or you know is starting by the end of his rookie season, if not immediately. So um, he's another guy. I think that yeah, his his numbers, his measurables, his testing don't show it on paper that he deserves to be a top fifty pick, but I, I'm telling you what, if you hear Josie Jewell in the second round, don't be too too uh, shocked because you heard it here first on the NFL Draft Bible radio show, <laughs> Rick Saratella, Justin Gamble, Joe Everett. Break it down for the people, man. We're all about the people here, man. It's all about the Draft Bible familia. 
And uh, shout out to our super producer, Sammy C, and the place to be uh, at home with Oceana, the newest edition of the NFL Draft Bible Familia. And, of course, we'll count you down to the 2018 NFL Draft. But, guys, there's spring in the air. I don't know. I don't know if so much in our climate in, in New Jersey and Indianapolis and Colorado, it sure doesn't feel like spring, but it's in the air. And, uh, you know, with that being said, there's spring ball games being played. And um, I've had a chance to kind of have some of them on kind of in the background, uh, attending to the new one and, and trying to get caught up on some work. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to kick off. You know, and also, we're going to talk about uh, who our top prospects are on the 2019 uh, big board. But I want to talk about what I saw. Um, and it, it was kind of disturbing because a lot of people think Drew Locke is a guy that could potentially be the top quarterback prospect in college football. I've heard people say that. Um, you know, we'll talk about who our top quarterback prospects are later on in the show. But it was a little bit disturbing to me watching the uh, Missouri uh, spring game. And, you know, he was doing his little uh, sideline interview after, uh, you know, playing. And, and uh, it was a little disturbing because the sideline reporter was kind of trying to get, you know, uh, the gist of what's going on. Like, hey, Drew, can you give us the play-by-play here of what's going on? And it's like he really didn't know what was going on. He didn't know (laughs) what the offense was running. He couldn't dissect the defense. He couldn't tell you what the play was. And then, you know, it was funny because the the sideline reporter, she kept staying with it. And, like, he was so bad, like, he would be like, wait a second, hold on, and, like, put the headset on and listen to the play call that's coming in and, like, be scrambling to listen to what the play call is. And even when he heard the play call, he still couldn't tell us what the hell was going on. So, you know, Drew Locke, get it together, baby. I mean, what's up? Do you not know the playbook? I mean, come on, baby. <laughs> Show me something here. Uh, instead, he was, like, th- completely thrown off. Instead of, like, this should be something you're having fun with and, you know, just, you know, letting uh, your personality show and have a grasp of the offense by now. But, no, I I feel like if he got in the the chalk talk with John Gruden, I mean, Gruden would be shredding this kid apart. And and now I'm starting to wonder, you know, how much is this kid in the playbook? How much does he have his nose in the playbook? I know it sounds so silly, but I was just thrown off to the fact that, like, even when he heard the play, he couldn't tell us what was going on. And it bothered me. And, you know, I just wanted to get that off my chest because now that's going to be something uh, that I look – I want to stick with you all the way through next year's process. We're going to hear about this. <laughs> draft in next year. <laughs> and that I know is. it, too. <laughs> well, you know, Justin, I mean, what – am I, am, I, no, am I reading too much into that? I, or? No, I agree with you, man. I think – especially with quarterbacks, I think you have to read into that stuff. You know, and the, the, the scary part about that is Missouri's offense is so simple and so stupid. It's like, what can't you explain about this? Your playbook is like eight plays with like a few variations in it. Tell us what's going on. I agree. And I think quarterbacks have to be those guys that know everything that's going on. I mean, they have they're, they got to know what's going on left and right in the building. They have, every single second, they have to know. So I'm with you. And now, you know, the hard part about that 
because I like Drew Locke, but I feel like this is going to stick with me too, and I'm going to find myself <laughs> digging into his tape and loving it next year, and I'm going to be like, nope, Joe said that, or Rick said that about the spring game. Nope, screw him. I'm going to cross off Drew Locke's name. This is hard to this is hard to handle right now, actually. <laughs> it was. It was. It was very hard to digest. And, Joe, I don't know if you have any two cents you want to inject into this conversation. Joe, are you on mute? Joe mutes himself every time. (laughs) Every time. I didn't last week, though, guys. I was really good last week. But uh, it was Chris Budden, I think, was the sideline reporter uh, talking to Drew Locke. And, yeah, I saw the same thing. Dude, he called out, oh, this is a run, pass. Oh, yeah, they're, they're probably yeah. going to pass here. That's what I'm on. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Just like Drew, maybe. <laughs> I think the, the I mean, problem, part of the problem is they are changing OCs. Uh, Josh Heupel's out, and now it's Derek Dooley there. And I think that's, that's right, my that's biggest right. question for Drew Locke going in is uh, I thought Heupel's system, that tempo they ran, that that's why Missouri was scoring so much in those last, what was like six, seven games. They just went on a 40-burger every week. Uh, with Dooley intact, I, I think the story's about to change, and I think the the uh, you know story on <laughs> Drew Locke is about to get altered too. I really, as far as seniors go, I know we'll break down 2019, but he's some people's number one. I don't see it. Give me Will Greer. I'll take Clayton Thorson. Give me the Fitzgerald kid. I mean, I, Drew Locke. I've got I've got some worries about this kid. Well, you know, uh, Clayton Thorson, that's another one I might pump the brakes on, too, but we'll save that conversation for another time. Mm. Uh, Now, on the flip side, the one guy I do want to praise from the Missouri spring game, is this Terry Beckner Jr.? I mean, I don't know if you guys had a chance to see this player or not, but uh, he's 300 pounds, and he moves like he's 200 pounds. I mean, this guy is explosive. Uh, he started 13 games this past year and had um, 11 sacks. So I think he's going to, you know, everything I saw and heard and see, this guy, I mean, Terry Beckner Jr., mark it down, this guy is going to be a fast riser. It would not shock me if we're talking about him as a potential first-round pick this time next year. Um the size and athleticism is a little freaky. And, you know, for 300 pounds, this guy's a big, lean machine. So I will uh, throw out that name for you. And then before I shift over to uh, Joe and Justin to see what their uh, observations were from the spring games, I do want to just give a shout-out. Um, I haven't had a chance to go back and watch the entire spring game, but I do want to give a shout-out, man, to – of course I'm going to sign some love on Jersey. Come on. Arthur Sitkowski. I mean, the true freshman quarterback at Rutgers, he is expected to uh, win the job. Uh, rave reviews from the media in terms of his performance in the spring game, but uh, this kid was very hard on himself, uh, was actually disappointed with his performance yet he still played well enough to uh, maintain a a grip on that starting job. And um, John McNulty back there as the OC, you know, is going to have a chance to work with this kid. And I think he might be a true freshman starter. And it's exciting because he's a six foot four pocket passing quarterback. And we're going to see Rutgers is going to have some weapons to operate with. And, you know, John Hilliman, 
Joe, as you know, uh, at one point, John Hilleman was, was uh, running rampant through the ACC. He's now transferred to Rutgers. I think he could play a sneaky good role there in the Scarlet Knights attack. And uh, Ra- Rashim, or Raheem Blackshear, if you haven't heard that name yet, you probably haven't because who the hell watches Rutgers besides me? Uh, this Blackshear kid, man, in, in, in a uh, part-time role last year, what he showed – I am dead on serious when I tell you I have not seen a skilled position player this talented at Rutgers since Ray Rice. And he may even be better than Ray Rice, but we'll see how durable he proves to be. I think that's the one concern I have with Blackshear is just the frame and durability, you know, when when you project it and translate it to the next level. Is he really a guy that's going to be a feature back? Probably not. Uh, but He was he good, though. A, he was good. He was an explosive, good-looking player, man. Yeah. Um, I I think he's going to be a playmaker. I really do. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on, on Rutgers players, but let's talk about some spring ball action. Uh, Justin, you know, what, did, what did, have you been able to see so far in the spring ball? I mean, a lot of games being played. Uh, any observations that you would like to share? Almost nothing, if I'm going to be honest with you. The spring ball has been tough for me to catch, man. But one guy that I've liked and that I think is going to be something, I don't know about special yet, but just caught my eye on tape on everything I've seen of him so far um, from Auburn is Marlon Davidson, their big defensive end. Um, I've only caught a few games and some of the spring stuff, but he uh, – he looks like the next, you know, he looks like a, a true base end. He's kind of a bigger dude. I don't know what he exactly is going to weigh in at, but I'd say he's above 265. Um, and I think for being such a big dude, for having the explosive traits he does, having some of that raw power, I don't know if you or Joe have seen him, but uh, I think he's number three on Auburn. He just looks like the next guy coming out of Auburn, you know, following in the line of these defensive ends. They somehow turned out with, you know, Lawson and Holland. He looks like he's carrying on the trend. Um, I, I think he might have better trades and size than both these guys. Anyone else seen Davidson from Auburn? I have no, not I had a chance, chance to, to dig into him game. thorough. Yeah, so uh, definitely someone I, I've seen his name come across my desk in the past. So yeah. if, if you're if you're mentioning him like that, he's going to be a high priority now for me to circle back to. And I know uh, Joe Everett never leaves a stone unturned, so I'm sure he's going to have some players for us to do our due diligence and Joe uh, spring ball takeaways. What you got for us? Well, you're right on Beckner, that kid from Missouri. Uh, if he's not the next Sheldon Richardson, he'll do till the next one gets here. Uh, that, that kid can ball out. Just watch that interception against, uh, I think it was against Bandy. He took what should have won the Piesman this year. There's no doubt about that, but um uh, I think the most intriguing things, Clemson, watch that game, the QB battle they've got going on because uh, that uh, I'm slipping on the the white kid with the blonde hair, but man, he threw three touchdowns in that game and was hooked up with T. Higgins on two of them. Man, uh, I I don't I, I think that is gonna that battle is gonna go up right to the beginning of the season because both those QBs can play, but I don't think I gotta tell anybody that the entire defensive line of Clemson's back and will probably be drafted this year. They're all eligible with Lawrence, uh, Wilkins, Farrell, Bryant. Uh, it, it's just uh, ridiculous to watch them. But yeah, my takeaway is that Clemson's just gonna be as good on offense, if not better. Those two running backs are great with Etienne and Beaster. 
And, yeah, I thought T. Higgins has really uh, blossomed into – he's going to be their go-to receiver. I, I think that's pretty clear. Uh, Florida, uh, I got to watch. There's a couple of wide receiver transfers that might be eligible immediately to play. Van Jefferson from Ole Miss, the son of Sean Jefferson, yes. former Indianapolis hey. coach. Uh, mm-hmm. Trevon Grimes, the Ohio State kid, uh, I think he might get a medical hardship because he missed so much time with it due to injury. But regardless of them, uh, Florida transfers player or not, Felipe Franks looked like he's taken to Dan Mullen's system. So uh, believe it or not, Florida might actually score some points this year. And uh, I really am a fan of Van Jefferson. I think uh, due to the whole Ole Miss and the bull ban and all that uh, rigmarole, he's probably going to be eligible and might lead the Gators in receiving. So he's one I think you just add him to the draft board because uh, he won't have to sit the year out. And uh, I think he's on the uh, the draft map. And then uh, Florida State, my boy DeAndre Francois, look out for James Blackman. He looked great in that in that spring game, and, and it's a new coaching staff with Willie Taggart, so there's no favorites. They don't know him from Adam. So DeAndre Francois really needs to get healthy and start playing because I, I, I'm just uh, I'm worried about James Blackman stealing that job from him. It could be a situation for one of the two ends up transferring after they decide their starter because uh, I, I think they've, they've just got that – Wonderful problem to have is uh, just two real good quarterbacks. And, yeah, I'm worried that Willie Taggart's going to pick James Blackman and, and Francois might just be sitting there holding the clipboard or, like I said, uh, might take a year off this year and uh, change schools. We'll see. But I, I really, uh, yeah, I'd be worried if I was Francois and his whole camp because, uh, man, that's um, that's a situation that could go one either way. Blackman's arm is going to be hard to, to turn down, too. I mean, the kid slings it. And he looked pretty decent last year, even, you know, he didn't do just like the basic, you know, throw the slant, throw the you know, the dump off screen. He was a little better than I think people anticipated. And I think he kind of showed what his ceiling or maybe like what he could be down the road. I'm with you. I think Tiger's going to have a really tough decision. Um, anyone see, does anyone know, is Shea Patterson going to be eligible for Michigan? Because I think he was another guy with some huge upside as a pure passer. Yeah. And if he plays in that pro style under Harbaugh and succeeds, that's a, you know, he could be a potential high rock pick. I'm just wondering if he's going to be eligible coming from Ole Miss, just like Jefferson. I, I, I don't know the exact people. ruling. Yeah. And, you know, another interesting just, too, I think Wilton Spite went to UCLA, I thought I saw as well. I mean, right. um, under yeah, Kelly? you know, I believe so. If I saw it correctly, I thought Spike transferred to UCLA. I think you're right. That's that's an odd fit yep. in that Chip Kelly offense. Very odd. Um, but, you know, a couple things here. Uh, Francois, I mean, not only am I concerned off the field about the injury, but now there's some red flags coming up uh, just in his personal life. I mean, I think he was cited for marijuana recently, which is not a big deal to me, but I know he – during the off season or during the season, he's had some baby mama drama. I know uh, some kind, some girl has been, you know, trying to really damage him on his image. And when the whole baby drama mama was going on, I mean, this other girl came out of the woodworks and was posting videos, like responding to our tweets, like sucking face with DeAndre Francois, really trying to get him into some trouble. Um, so he, I don't know if he's surrounding himself with the right people and, you know, 
could be a fall from grace. Could be the next quarterback on the move looking to transfer. And uh, Joe, man, taking us down memory lane. All this talk, Sean Jefferson and Jim Harbaugh. I mean, if I remember correctly, <laughs> there was a captain comeback connection there uh, <laughs> back in the day with uh, Harbaugh oh, yeah. and Sean Jefferson. So always uh, love strolling down the memory lane. Uh, Rick Saratoe, Joe Everett, Justin Gamble here, you there, breaking it down for the people now. A uh, little taste of 2019. Hey, we've been breaking it down 2018 all year round right here on the NFL Draft Bible radio show. Having a little fun looking ahead. Uh, don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but we do want to kind of, uh, you know, flip through some of the pages here, take a take a peek at what next year has to offer. And, you know, we discussed the uh, Drew Locke situation, and, and now it's time to talk about who our top prospects are uh, heading into next year. But before, you know, we'll do it like this, top QB, top top non-offensive, uh, top offensive prospect, non-QB, and then the top defensive prospect for each of these guys. Uh, let's talk about the top quarterbacks since that's kind of where our discussion went a little bit earlier. Joe, I'll start it off with you. And, you know, for the sake of conversation, regardless of draft class, even if they're not draft eligible, I mean, we're always looking ahead to the future. We want to know who the biggest, the baddest, the best quarterback prospect is in the nation. Joey E., what has you got for me? Oh, well, if it's any eligibility, we're starting off with Tua Tagovailoa. <laughs> Just, <laughs> couldn't resist Ooh. that one, boy. Actually, if it is, I'll give you an eligible guy, a junior from Stanford, I think has a case to be the number one quarterback off the board next year is K.J. Costello. Uh, I think the way he really picked up that system towards the end of last season, what he can do in the pocket, the size he has, he's got a little bit of mobility, not a lot. Uh, but that I think of any uh, player, he's, he's running what is a very pro-esque type of a system out there. Uh, I think he's getting taught by one of the best, and Dave Shaw. Uh, that's a guy I think really of any of these that has the strongest case. Because really, I'll be honest, um, looking at towards last year when we had these podcasts, I'm saying, you know, sure, I like Deshaun Watson out of this class, but let's wait till next year. Next year's class is the class. That's the good eats for quarterback. And now that we're here. I think it's time to get your eats, get it while you can, while it's getting good. Because next season, I, Drew Locke, um, I like Will Greer, but I'm not his hugest supporter. I, I, I kind of like Fitzgerald and Thorson. Uh, you got Jared Stidham from Auburn slash Baylor. I, I just uh, None of these guys really strike me as being uh, not in the Sam Darnold career, not even close to Josh Rosen. I mean, maybe we've got a Josh Allen here. Uh, I really think uh, – that looking backwards and looking forwards, I think that really should help people realize what kind of unique class and what kind of quality we have in 2018. So, yeah, if, if I had to pick one of these 2019 guys uh, ahead, like so far down the line, I'd probably side with Costello because uh, I love the program he comes from and just the learning curve that he showed. I mean, it, they, they basically didn't start to like midseason. So, this is a guy I think could continue to ascend and, and yeah, by the end of maybe by the end of next season we're talking about him as a first rounder. Maybe maybe he gets benched and replaced. But uh I'm not nuts about this Q B class uh for the perspective uh twenty nineteen group. Very interesting take with uh, the selection of Costello because you don't hear uh, too many people talk about him being the best quarterback in college football. So I definitely appreciate that hot take, but uh 
even more interesting, Justin. You know, there's a lot of sentiment that this is a down year for quarterbacks, but, you know, Joe gave us some interesting perspective in saying, hey, you know what? Not so fast, my friend. Maybe you need to appreciate this year's quarterback class. Uh, before you give us your best quarterback prospect, Justin, uh, how do you gauge next year's potential quarterback class in comparison to this year's? It's rough, man. Looking ahead, it's like there's like five guys you could say, you know, could boost themselves up into the first round, but I don't think there's one lock first rounder right now. I mean, Shea Patterson is so talented. He can do things with his arm that are wonderful to watch, but he comes from a system at Ole Miss that was just basically schoolyard ball. It was like each play, I mean, they even admitted it. They said each play is kind of just like get open. They have certain structure that they want to run in, but overall it's they all kind of just read the field and run around and get open. So he's coming from that, and then he's going to Michigan where he's going to be under center a lot. He's going to be in a pro style, which would be completely new to him. I mean, I know Jim Harbaugh asked them to run play action and turn their back to the play. That'll be huge. And then we don't even know if he's eligible. So it all might be for not. And then Jarrett Stidham out of Auburn, when I studied him this past season, um, thinking he was going to be eligible or thinking he was going to declare, he's a strong-armed guy, but I realize when he's asked to drive the ball, his accuracy is just all over the place. I think he's – mobile and I think he's got some good starter traits but I don't know where you project him yet because he was just so inconsistent um Will Greer is kind of he's a good player too but he's I don't I think his arm is a little you know it's it's average and he comes from again that wide open big 12 West Virginia offense Drew Locke we he's yikes I don't know what to do with him and then my top guy right now who I'm not even sure is a lock first rounder or anything like that is Justin Herbert from Oregon. Uh, I think, you know, the size, the arm, the accuracy, he scans the field. Well, he gets the ball out on time. Uh, I think he takes what's there, but he can also do some special things with his arm talent. Um, I felt like he struggled throwing the out routes. I felt like he struggled throwing towards the sideline, but I think he's the best of the bunch right now. Um, and he's kind of my guy, like if I said, you know, this you know, this one player is going to vault themselves into the first round, he'd be my bet. But overall, looking at it, it's like, you know, if you're, if you're hungry, you got to eat now. Because next year, the buffet line's slim pickings, dude. I, I think Rosen, Mayfield, Darnold, I think these guys are kind of special compared to looking ahead. You know, we doubt, Mayf- we doubt Mayfield a lot, and I, I don't think I'm as high on him as most, but I think I would take him over any of these guys in next year's class right now, just because I know what he is and he's proven himself where we're asking for a big jump next year from any of these guys. Very interesting. Um, You know, Herbert, I think another guy that had an injury last year, and that seems to be a common theme, like Fitzgerald, Thorson. A lot of these guys are coming back too off uh, off of an injury, which is going to be a little bit of a transition for them as well. And, you know, I'll inject one other QB into the conversation. I'm not saying he's the best, but a guy that's often overlooked in terms of some of the premier, you know, future pro prospect quarterbacks uh, is uh, Daniel Jones over at Duke. Uh, This guy, yeah, I mean, you know, he's kind of like a uh, uh, Dan Lefebvre uh, Lefebvre, uh, on steroids type of deal. And, uh, you know, obviously – has uh, some tremendous coaching and David Cutcliffe down there and um, someone to keep an eye on. And, and I know Cutcliffe has gone on record and said that he's a first round pick. So, you know, 
that, that carries some weight. That carries some weight. Um, so just another guy mm-hmm. to keep into the mix in terms of uh, consideration there. Okay. Got about 10 minutes left, guys. We're going to go best offense, best defensive prospect for this conversation. The best offensive prospect, excluding quarterbacks, because we just reviewed them. We'll start it off with you, Justin. Best offensive prospect in college football. Who you got? I'll go eligible. I kind of wanted to just go wild card and say anybody. But as far as eligible guys go for next year, um, I think – it's probably going to be one of the tackles, whether it's Trey Adams from Washington or Jonah Williams from Bama, both left tackles at their respective programs. Um, but I think, you know, either of these two guys might be the first tackle taken in this year's class. Granted, it's a weak class, but Jonah Williams is so technically savvy. He's got the kick step that's beautiful. I think he's more athletic than we're going to give him credit for. And same with Trey Adams. He's a big dude. He's long. He's tall. And I think, you know, there's going to be those questions. Is he a natural knee bender? Can he sink his butt and anchor? But both these guys can can do that, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, like I said, I think they'd be the first tackles taken in this class. I don't know why Trey Adams didn't declare. Maybe he felt like he wasn't ready. But I think he might be losing some money because looking ahead next year, the tackle class is pretty, pretty stout. Um, and then why, you know, Ole Miss has two wide receivers that are absolutely wonderful, D.K. Metcalf and A.J. Brown. Uh, I think these guys might end up being blue chippers next year. So looking ahead, I like the skill position class next year. I don't know if the running back class is great, but wide receivers and tackles have me excited. Yeah, yeah. I like Colin Johnson, too, uh, from Texas, a little under under yeah. the radar. Um, but, yeah, so Jonah Williams, Trey Adams, uh Justin give us giving us a little bonus picks there, but I, I think you know the NFL will be happy to hear that we finally have some offensive tackle prospects worthy of first round consideration. Because again, I think we're reaching this year, and you know because it's such a dire need. I'm hearing that Mike McGlinchey, despite you know being a right tackle maybe at the next level, could possibly go inside the top ten again. It is smokescreen season. Take it with a grain of salt, baby. But hey, sometimes He's where there's safe. smoke, there's fire. Um, so hey, uh, Joe, over to you. Top offensive prospect. How do you kind of see the 2019 class shake the Lakers? Well, first off, I think Justin's right. It's I think it's going to be a great wide receiver class. The fellas you mentioned, uh, add in Debo Samuel, South Carolina. Uh, James Garter in Miami, Ohio, this gigantic 6'5", 216 kid, I, I, I think he's going to be a star. Uh, then the underclassman, Riley Ridley, Calvin's little brother, did so well in the championship game. That Auburn kid, Darius Slayton. What about Arizona State's Nikhil Harry? Uh, Amon Richards from Miami. And, yes, A.J. Brown, Colin Johnson. I think those two are the first wide receivers off the board next year, should they declare uh, but, yeah, it's, I think that's really kind of the highlight of the offensive group. And uh, Justin stole one for me. I love him some Trey Adams. I think were it not for an injury, he's the top tackle off the board this year. And then a couple other line, uh, Michael Dieter, both Wisconsin kids, uh, Bo Benchowell and, and Dieter, uh, they're going to get drafted high. And then I didn't even bring up David Sills, West Virginia, another wide receiver. And then Bryce Love, I think, coming back, I think he made a real smart decision. Uh, Stanford's going to be a much better team. They're losing some defense that back half, but 
that whole offense. If Costello takes the next step with Stanford or with a Love in there, that's yeah, they're going to have a heck of a team. But yeah, if I had to, well, Joe, I don't know, you, offensive I know player. Gonna, wait, wait, I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to interrupt what? you because I want to stop you right there and just ask a quick question before we get to your top. That's a tease. Before we get to your top offensive player, you said Bryce Love made the correct decision. Do you mean just in terms of? coming back and trying to play for a national championship? Or are you talking draft stock? Because I thought Bryce Love had the potential to be in the first round consideration. Now, how much, I mean, can he really improve his draft stock for next year? I I just find it to be a curious situation. I'm curious to know your, your insights on it. Well, exactly right. It's not about draft stock. It's more about winning the PAC 12. I think having a chance to get to that college playoff and, and just, you know, just whatever happens in those last two games, I think that's what he's shooting for. I think he's throwing draft stock right out the window, and, uh, he, he, yeah, he wants the glory there. But, yeah, if I had to name the top offensive player, it might be A.J. Brown. Uh, I mean, that kid has just yeah. been everything, always advertised. He blocks well. I know Ole Miss has that bad rep with Tritt, well, not uh, living up to expectations, but I think this guy mm-hmm. uh, definitely will. Uh, just so good after the catch, and it's not even about size. Like, he plays like he's six four two fifty. That's that's the way he plays. Like, he just cannot be brought down. Uh, that's, that's probably one of my favorite offensive players in this class. All right, uh, hard to argue with those selections. Uh, we're going to turn it over now to the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, I did a, um interview for Land of Ten, which I think the article is coming out today. They posed an interesting question to me, and they were asking me about the Michigan prospects, and then they asked me about next year and, you know, Rashawn Gary and Chase Winovich playing on opposite ends. Joe, you mentioned the Clemson defensive line, kind of similar to the NC State defensive line this year. I mean, all those guys are getting drafted, and, you know, they posed the question, who who does have the best defensive end duo? Is it Michigan? Is it Clemson? Or is it Ohio State? Uh, just because they have Nick Bosa and whoever else <laughs> puts them in contention as the best <laughs> defensive end duo. So um, that's going to be an interesting article that comes out on landof10.com today. Uh, so you can find out my response and, and uh, what I had to say about that. I don't want to give too much away. Uh, Joe, keeping it here with you, though, best defensive player. I mentioned Rashawn Gary. He has a potential to work himself uh, as as that title. I'm not sure he's there yet. But who is uh, carrying around that championship title belt uh, for the stakes of top defensive prospects in the nation? If if I got to place the belt on anybody's shoulder, I'm putting it on Ed Oliver's shoulder at Houston. Uh, I think that guy's going to be one heck of a pro. Uh, Rashawn Gary, you mentioned though, and he's going to be great too. And that whole deep, that D line from Clemson, uh, Nick Bosa, and I guess the the B Chase Young is going to be the other defensive. And I'm not super up on them, but yeah, I think it, it's kind of amazing. Like everyone wants to talk about this interior D line class. In 2018, I think it's just going to be as good if not better next year with guys like Oliver, Gary, Wilkins. Uh, who knows if Lawrence comes out? Um, and then I think the one guy uh, you got to watch led the nation in sacks, tackles for loss was Sutton Smith, the white Von Miller from Northern Illinois. And yes, yeah. I just said that out loud. Uh, look him up, man. The guy, um, he is just at a different clip the way he's running and 
Sure, he gets a lot of sacks his way just out of system, but that guy is shot out of a cannon. Um, that he really is one of the finest players in all of the MAC. And then I, we got to throw Greedy Williams LSU out there. Uh, that he's got a chance to be the top corner off the board. And then a USC Sam Darnold roommate. What about Cam Smith? Uh, stayed in school. I don't know how good a decision that was for him to stay in school, but I think that's a, another linebacker. I mean, he's been starting there since day one. Uh, Cam Smith going to be a hell of a player. But, yeah, if I had to pick any of his defensive players, I'd probably lean Ed Oliver, Superman from Houston. Yeah, you know, he's already gone on record and said he's declaring after the after this season. So I've never seen somebody declare in uh, the previous year. So I, I thought that was interesting. And, you know, just a side note, what I, w- what I will tell you, uh, one thing I said about that interview with the Michigan prospects, and, and I always say it like a broken record every year, these players get bigger, stronger, faster. I honestly believe, I'm going to go on record right now and say, you heard it here first, Rashawn Gary will have the most impressive combine performance in the history of the NFL combine. That's how impressive he will perform. How about that for a hot take today, okay? Um, (laughs) I mean, this guy is, you know, I think he's at 288 right now. Uh, He's running faster than than most running backs in college football. So um, I think he's going to have the most impressive measurables for his size and speed and athleticism. People will have never seen anything like it before. Um, The other guy, too, just, you know, listening to you guys talk and a guy I want to throw out there from the offensive side just to keep an eye on, uh, you know, Devin Singletary from FAU. If you haven't had a chance to uh, see this kid play, I mean, all he did was run for like 2,000 yards and 33 touchdowns last year. Uh, this guy's going to be in the mix for the Heisman Trophy, okay? Um, so, again, another – bold prediction that you heard it here first yeah. and um hey man i'm full of this we could do this all day long here on nfl draft bible radio with that being said I, I'm, I'm looking at you justin for a hot take who you got here for your top uh defensive prospect in 2019 i'm just looking at this d line wondering like how can we have you know 11 top 10 picks on the d line alone um like raekwon davis from alabama this dude, what is he like? He's like six six, three ten or something. It's like if you gave uh, Eric Armstead and Buckner from Oregon, you know, ha- make them have a baby and then have that baby do steroids his whole life. That's who Raekwon Davis is. He's so explosive <laughs> in that frame and the arm length and the size. I mean, this dude. I feel like he came out of the womb like three feet tall. He's so big. And so strong, if you could draw up a 34 defensive end, this is him. Um, I think, but and then you know, look look around though. You got Nick Bosa too. Nick Bosa looks already a little thicker and a little, maybe a little more explosive and strong than his brother was. And I think he's going to be a better prospect than Joey was. And not saying Joe, you know, not a knock on Joey Bosa in any way, but I think Nick Bosa is something that. We this is like the next Miles Garrett level prospect, but I think already he's a little more accomplished than Garrett was, just because he's got such a pass rushing arsenal and such a just a natural feel for getting after the quarterback. He can win with speed, he can win with power, he can win with counter moves. There's really nothing he can't do. Um, Rashawn Gary, like you said, he's 
insane as well. I don't know if he's going to pack on maybe five pounds or something like that and play three tech. I don't know if he can stay on the edge. I don't know what he's going to be, but he's amazing as well. And then let's move to Alabama. They're going to keep the trend of these linebackers. Mac Wilson, he's going to be the junior this year. He's going to be the starter. I think he's maybe as – I mean, I don't. I hate to say it and jump ahead like this, but I think he's more athletic than maybe uh, Rashawn Evans and Ruben Foster both were. Um, he might be the best one we've seen since Mosley. He might be even better and more athletic than Mosley. Mac Wilson, you know, just watching him in those limited snaps, I'm wondering what this kid can't do because he flies yeah. around. He, he looks like a running back playing linebacker with that type of speed and athleticism and fluidity. Um, you know, I I hate jumping ahead and saying crazy things, but I can't help but get super excited watching him on film. And then DeAndre Baker from Georgia, the the, the long, big cornerback, I think if he would have come out this year, he might have ended up as a first-round pick. And I think in this kind of shaky cornerback group, I think he would have been a first-round pick. I think he might be losing some money by returning to Athens. But I liked him last year. Uh, I think he can play in a lot of schemes. He can play a lot of positions. He can do – he can match up against the quick guys. He can match up against the big guys. Um, he's got the ball skills, the awareness. I really like watching him at corner. He's just such a natural at it. So, next year's class is absolutely stacked. I think we talked about, like, Christian Wilkins from Clemson this year being a top pick, and then he returns to Clemson. If he doesn't end up in the top 20 picks, don't – I'm not going to be shocked because this class is so deep. And I don't really yeah. know what his trump card is. So, you know, yikes, man. This defensive class is going to take over the NFL when it declares. And I got to say, you know, listening to you guys talk this through out loud, there are some rare specimen uh, to be excited about there for the 2019 NFL draft and beyond. Uh, so with that being said, uh, we went about five minutes over today. So we're going to wrap things up, put a nice, pretty big bow ribbon on it. Uh, I think we have time to get one more of these and hopefully uh, before the draft, I guess a week from today will be the draft. If I'm not mistaken, uh, hard to keep up, but uh, we'll huddle up and see if maybe we could do an NFL draft extravaganza bonanza preview. Um, of course, we'll uh, do some uh, live coverage and uh, you know, we've been doing the, uh, the tweet thing since Twitter existed. So you all know how we get down there, but Hey, it's been another hour of power and we've got to go, but please do again, share the word, spread the show, check back regularly. NFL draft Bible.com is on fire. And of course at NFL draft Bible, you can follow uh, Joe W Everett and Justin Gamble at Gam scout. Of course, myself at Rick Saratella. And if you haven't, already followed i mean what the heck are you waiting for you must not like the draft but we'll catch you next time everybody and we appreciate you tuning in uh hit it joe boom